Section 21 of The Wars of the Roses by Robert Balmain Moat. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 16 Queen Margaret Abroad. The retreat of the Scots from Annick must have convinced Margaret that there was little to be gained from her allies across the border. The submission of the Duke of Somerset and Sir Rafe Percy to King Edward proved how little the efforts even of the chief Lancastrian gentry could be relied on. Even from abroad she could expect small help, for King Edward had spread his diplomatic meshes in Flanders and even in France. Who was to state her case against the persuasive arguments of the Yorkist ambassadors? Margaret resolved to do this herself. She landed at Schlaus, a Flemish port six miles to the northeast of Bruges. The faithful men, so far as known, who accompanied her were Henry Holland, Duke of Exeter, six knights, John Fortescue, the famous judge and writer on legal and constitutional subjects, Edmund Munford, E. Hamden, Henry Ruse, Thomas Ormond, Robert Whittingham, two doctors of divinity, John Morton, afterwards Archbishop of Canterbury, and Robert Mackerel. But her chief friend and counsellor was Pierre de Brézé. There were others whose names were not given, including seven devoted women, who were her personal attendants. In all her following numbered two hundred persons. The prospect might have deterred the strongest spirit. The Duke of Burgundy, to whom she was looking for help, was one of whom, in her days of prosperity, she had somehow made a mortal enemy. She came to him a fugitive, without royal habit or estate. Her wardrobe consisted of the clothes she was wearing. She wore a short robe and had no change of garments. Her seven women were in the same condition. Had it not been for his private purse which de Brézé put at her disposal, she would have wanted even bread. But even de Brézé could do little more, for he had already spent nearly all his money in the Queen's service. During the stay of the Lancastrians in Burgundy, the chronicler Chastelon took pains to acquire knowledge from them at first hand. According to what he learned from de Brézé himself, the old warrior had spent fifty thousand crowns in following Queen Margaret. From Schlaus, Queen Margaret was honorably escorted by the orders of the Count of Charolais, son of Duke Philip. Charles, whose independent, reckless character had earned him the name of Bold, openly supported the Lancastrian cause at this time, while his father was a steady supporter of the Yorkists. At Bruges, where Charles held his court, the Queen lodged at the Carmelites. Although Charles's father, the Duke of Burgundy, was anxious to avoid meeting Margaret, he had found it impossible to do so, the Queen having plainly declared her intention of coming to him wherever he was. Duke Philip had just gone on a pilgrimage to Notre-Dame of Boulogne, accompanied by his sister, the Duchess of Bourbon. Ambassadors of King Edward of England and King Louis of France were also in the neighborhood, and a general treaty of peace and neutrality seemed likely to be arranged between the Yorkist government, France, and Burgundy. But Duke Philip 
the chivalrous head of the Order of the Golden Fleece, could not refuse to meet Queen Margaret when she reminded him of his duty to all dames in distress. He accordingly appointed the town of Saint-Paul for the place of meeting. Count Charles lent her five hundred crowns to enable her to pursue her journey from Bruges. She left her son Edward, Prince of Wales, there for safety, and with three of her women, Pierre de Brézé, and a few men left the city. Her party was not like a royal cavalcade, for she herself was dressed in the habit of a village woman, and her carriage was just a country cart, covered with canvas and drawn by four mares. At Bethune, where she lodged for the night, she nearly fell into the hands of the men of King Edward, who, to the number of two hundred horsemen, had made a raid from Calais to kidnap her. But the attempt failed, and Margaret was able to go on to St. Paul, where she waited for the Duke on August 31, 1463. Philip arrived next day and stayed for one night, September 1st and 2nd. On the 3rd, Margaret returned to Bruges. She had received a pleasant entertainment from the Duke, but no real help. Her presence, indeed, was most inconvenient to him. But as Margaret had insisted on seeing him, the Duke had done her honor, showing kindness and chivalry. However, he had no intention of changing his policy on her account. After leaving St. Paul, when he had proceeded about a league toward Saint-Omer, where the conference with the French and English was to take place, Philip sent back one of his knights to Queen Margaret with a parting gift, a fine diamond, fit for a queen, and two thousand crowns, no doubt equally acceptable. Presents of money were also given to de Brézé and Margaret's three dames. Philip had departed, but his sister, the Duchess of Bourbon, remained, and the two ladies enjoyed some long and intimate conversations together. Under the influence of sympathetic female companionship, the unbending spirit of Margaret enjoyed the rare luxury of tears. She related all her fearful trials and adventures during the last years in England, and the chronicler Chastelon was able from the Duchess's account afterwards to give a detailed narrative for posterity. Margaret told how, in Northumberland, King Henry, the young Prince Edward, and herself, once during the recent campaigns for as much as five days, had only one herring to share for their food each day. Bread they had none. They were so poor that once at Mass the Queen found herself without even a penny to put into the offertory. She asked a Scottish archer who was nearby to lend her something, and he somewhat stiffly and regretfully drew a groat from his purse and lent it to her. The Queen related how also at the latest disaster, the flight of the Scots in front of Norham, she had been captured by some plundering Yorkist soldiers and despoiled of all her valuables. She was treated with great roughness and even dragged before the captain to have her head cut off. Her tears and impassioned appeals had no effect as it seemed, but suddenly a quarrel broke out amongst her brutal captors over the division of the booty, and while attention was thus turned from her, she spoke pitifully to a Yorkist squire whom she saw near, and she begged him to save her. He was moved and said, Madam, mount behind me and Monsignor the prince in front, and I will save you or die, seeing that death is more likely to come to me than not. 
so amid the general distraction they rode off and gained the refuge of a forest unobserved which margaret entered still on horseback behind the squire full of strange fears and fancies not caring for her own life but fearing for the young heir of the crown who if he lived she hoped would one day come into his rights the forest was a noted haunt of brigands margaret's fears were justified soon there appeared a man of hideous and horrible aspect with obvious intention to kill and to rob but once more the queen's appeal turned the heart of a savage man declaring her rank and condition she besought him to save not her but the young prince her son the heir of england the brigand was touched and prayed her for mercy as if she was carrying her sceptre in london so putting her son into the brigand's hands the queen rode off behind the squire once more and after long travels reached her husband's camp the brigand faithfully performed his task and brought in the young prince safely next day september third at five in the morning margaret took leave of the duchess and departed from st paul under a strong escort for bruges where she had left her son and most of her following here she was received with all the honours pertaining to royalty by the count of charolais who refused to treat her as anything but a reigning queen or her son as anything but the heir to a powerful throne accordingly although in its public policy the government adhered to the yorkist cause the fugitive queen felt that the famous chivalry of philip and charles of burgundy was not an empty boast after this with prince edward and most of her gentlemen she proceeded to the duchy of bar in lorraine where her father king rene had a residence and a small court the faithful indomitable de Brézé returned to france and was received with high favour by louis the eleventh who had not expected him to survive the troubles and dangers of england but de Brézé did not put much store by louis's promises he was only anxious to go to his wife at the chateau of Mony. the king gave his permission to go there and ordered him not to leave it the negotiations between the french burgundians and yorkists were gradually brought to a close throughout the greater part of september fourteen sixty three the envoys of the three sovereigns held meetings at saint omer close to the frontier of the pale of calais dr george neville bishop of exeter chancellor of england was the chief representative of edward the fourth the duke of burgundy kept his quarters at Edon, to which place on september twenty eighth louis the eleventh also came on september thirtieth the english envoys adjourned to Edon and by October 10th an agreement had been reached. On October 26th, the truce between France and England was published. The Scots shortly after followed the example of their French ally, and in December a truce was entered into with Edward at York to endure till the end of the following October. The truces with France and Scotland were subsequently extended, king edward was thus freed for some years at least from foreign intervention and queen margaret had nearly seven years to spend at saint miguel en barrois before she could strike her final blow for the lancastrian cause End of section twenty one